2: Anybody not out there that even
0: wants to be a little bit mellow now, is there? Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here, all right? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast, Podcast with host Eddie Trunk.
2: Hey everybody, it's Eddie Trunk and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New episodes every Thursday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss one on any of your favorite podcast platforms and stay caught up with all the newsmaking interviews that happen on this podcast and that originate on my Sirius XM radio show, Trunk Nation, which you can hear live Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern time on Faction Talk, Sirius XM channel 103, or anytime you want on the Sirius XM app. As I tell you guys every week, if you listen only to this podcast and you live in the U.S. or Canada, which means you can subscribe to SiriusXM. You're only getting a tiny, tiny fraction of what I do on the radio on a daily basis. So please come on board and join me for Trunk Nation each and every weekday. Again, live, 3 to 5 Eastern, Faction Talk 103, audio, interviews, video, full shows, all on the SiriusXM app anytime you want. This week, we're going to bring you two interviews, Uh, One will be with Todd LaTorre, who is the current lead singer in Queensreich. Queensreich recently released a new record and also recently did a bunch of touring opening for Judas Priest. At the time I talked to Todd, they were just getting ready to do another run of touring opening for Priest and also uh, getting ready to celebrate the release of their newest album. We'll talk all about that with Todd Latore coming up a little bit later on in the podcast, but we get started this week with Robert DeLeo, bass player from Stone Temple Pilots and one of that band's primary songwriters. Robert did something interesting recently. He put out a solo record, and it's a solo record where he has some uh, different guests on it, but it's a very different direction. Than Stone Temple Pilots, you know, with STP, you're used to the big guitars and the big riffs. This is a way more stripped down singer songwriter type approach. Very, very different from what we've heard from the STP camp. And Robert has a lot of different sides to him. And you know, it's really interesting. I mean, what's the point of making a solo record if you're not going to do something different than what you do in your regular band? And Robert certainly did that. And of course, we talk a little STP as well. Remember when you hear these interviews on the podcast, they all happen live on the radio. And some of them happened as long as three to five weeks ago. So keep in mind some of the events and things that we talk about that are coming up may have already happened. That's why you should listen to the radio show every day. It's live. It's spontaneous and keeps you up to date but anyway uh thank you for listening to the podcast wherever you are however you do it and i hope you enjoy these interviews i have for you this week so we'll start with robert right now and get todd Latory of Queensrÿke up second for you on this week's eddie trunk podcast joining us live now on trunk nation is robert DeLeo. robert eddie how are you how are you i'm good brother how are you i'm
3: okay man uh I, I, I had a question for you. Is it showing our age, calling it a
2: solo album? No, why? <laughs> why? Why is solo? Now, now there's a lot of things that I, that I show my age in Robert, but why would calling it a solo album show our age?
3: Well, I think the key word there is album. Is that giving away our age, calling it an album still, or is that okay? No.
2: <laughs> I'm going to go to my grave, <laughs> believing in albums and the experience of listening to a record start to finish. I will, Cherish that forever, man. And by the way, your record is a great listen in that way because it's got a vibe throughout, which we can talk about. But congratulations on this, man. This is uh, when, oh. I got, when I had it first sent to me, uh, it was quite a curveball from what you do in STP. But I've always believed that if an artist is going to step outside of their main band, they should do it and do something different that they wouldn't normally do in their main band. And that seems to be exactly what you went for.
3: Yes, uh you know, I've always tried to kind of throw those little flavorings in over the years, um but just never really delved into it the way that uh that I did on this record.
2: When did the idea to do this Robert come to you when, was this a a product of covid or were you thinking of it before that, or did it happen after that uh you know i think I
3: think you know the the time that the world allowed us to have uh, over the pandemic was, was really the the time to really sit down. I just I just had the intention of kind of sitting down and, and getting reacquainted with my guitar playing, really. Um, and uh, I've managed to collect some really nice vintage pieces, and, uh, you know, each one of those has a different personality to it. And once I started kind of sitting down and kind of see, seeing what, you know, they had to say back to me, I think that's when it became apparent to me that, with what I was uh, feeling and and having in my life that I was, uh, you know, these, these instruments were kind of, kind of leading the way, you know?
2: Well, I mean, obviously you and STP and your history, you're known for big, loud riff driven rock. Where does this side of your writing and your musical appeal come from? Like what, what were the influences on you to make a record like this? And for people who are listening, who haven't heard it, how would you best describe it to them?
3: Um, I think it's a very personal journey that I had to take. I didn't want to take it. I definitely had to sit down. And, and it's, it's kind of been my journal through the past couple of years. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it led me to this. Um, I, I, I definitely wanted to write a record that had a lot of air, that you could actually hear the air in between everything. Which, like you said, you know, there's a different approach to writing loud music. But I think I think the, the people that really know our records, they they know the songs that aren't really, should I say, radio friendly. They know, I think, what I've tried to uh, put into those those records as far as introducing Bossa Nova or introducing some form of uh, country. But it's always it's always been an acoustic thing that has where it started for me. And I think you have to make the decision as a writer to keep it there. And that's what I did. I kept it there acoustically and I wanted it there acoustically. And I wanted to make a record that was very personal and, and, and tender and soft. And like I said, you could hear the air that meant a lot to me.
2: Yeah. I mean, make no mistake. Anybody that truly knows stone temple pilots and the records up and down, there's certainly a lot of dynamics in there and there's different turns and all of that. But again, at the core in the big radio songs, it's known as, uh, you know, the band is known for uh, being a loud rock band and a band I love, of course, but this is, yeah, this is a totally different side. Now you mentioned uh, it being a journal. Are you somebody that actually keeps a journal? Are you a guy that's kept notes in a journal of your life for a long period of time?
3: No, I'm always afraid someone's going to find it, (laughs) 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 but I, uh, no, I, I I keep my journal musically and through ideas and songs, and that's really what this is. It's my kind of my idea of of, of an acoustic, you know, journal. That's what it's been.
2: Yeah. Now, of course, in STP, you you play bass, and everybody knows that, and you're a phenomenal player. But you said you wanted to get in touch with your guitar playing side. Um, how much guitar do you play, and have you played guitar on STP records?
3: I have played guitar on SCP records. Um, you know, I think with some songs that I've written and the way that I want to express that guitar part, um, you know, I've, I've done it. Uh, but, but this is, this is kind of different. I think it's coming from a place of, uh, like I said, keeping it there in that acoustic format, you know, acoustic guitar is definitely different than electric guitar. And, um, you know, I had to kind of sit down and kind of reacquaint myself with with these in- instruments um, and, and get to back to where I wa- where I was I, like, like most bass players. I started out on guitar. So um, not that I've been playing too much bass. I just hadn't been playing enough guitar. And with these songs and, and things coming about, I had to kind of, you know, get get reacquainted with these instruments.
2: Where did you make the record, Robert? Did you do it at a home studio? Did you go into a studio? How did you actually record this? Because in addition to guitar and bass, you you pretty much play all the instruments on the record, right? Yes. Uh, Yes.
3: I have some guests on this record and really, really amazingly talented guests. Um, On drums, I have Eric on a couple of songs, Eric Kretz. And I have uh, Steve Ferroni from The Average White Band and Tom Petty playing uh, the title track, Big Sky Woman. Um, as far as that, it, there, there, there's no drums on it. Uh, some songs don't even have bass on them. It's mostly just an acoustic presentation, acoustic guitar presentation. Um, and then I have five different people singing on the record. I have um, uh, Pete Shoulder uh, on vocals, a couple of songs. I have Tim Bloom from the Mother Hips on a couple of songs. a have Kara Britz uh, singing a couple of songs. I have Jimmy Necco, another fellow Jerseyan, on, uh, on a couple of songs. And I have uh, a gentleman by the name of Johnny Irian on vocals too. Um, and that was the conscious decision of mine from a I guess a producer standpoint of, uh, you know, trying to find the right people to, and the right voice for these songs. Um, so that was that was a, a great gift to have all these people uh you know lending their amazing talents to this record too. And I sing the last song. So I picked the last last song vocals on that last song is this goodbye. So
2: Well, a few things yeah. on that. So so the current single is is called Love is Not Made of Gold and the vocals on that is, are by Jimmy Necco who is a phenomenal singer. He has a band. He had a band. I don't know if he still has it, a band called ours that I've seen before. I don't, I don't know. I've seen that guy play and sing in the past and his voice is amazing. It's, it's incredible to me, a guy with that kind of a voice and ability, especially when the world is always looking for lead singers, it seems like has not gotten over the hump. So I thought it was really cool. You included him on this.
3: I love Jimmy and I love his voice and, you know, we met in a special way. You know, I, I found out about Jimmy through Chester Bennington and Chester kind of, uh, said that Jimmy was one of his favorite singers and ironic enough. And sadly enough, um, me and Jimmy got together and sang at Chester's funeral. Uh, so Mm. Jimmy sang amazing grace at Chester's funeral. Um, and uh it was a a very heavy moment. I don't think it was a dry eye in that that crowd, and uh that's how Jimmy and I came about. So we have a special bond. Um and I had to use him on this record.
2: Yeah, he's uh he's a phenomenal singer, and I didn't realize that about the connection with, with Chester. That's interesting. Now there's another guy you mentioned who sings on the record by the name of Pete Shoulder, which I actually have a funny story about, but uh, I don't know Pete or who he is, but can you tell us about Pete? Pete uh, was was introduced uh, to
3: me through uh, photographer Roth Halfen. Okay, and uh, yes, and uh, uh, we have another project that we haven't introduced uh, with Pete. It was uh, it's uh, uh, Dean Brian Tishy, Pete, and myself who have a project and something sitting on the shelf, I should say. But uh, I really wanted to use Pete on this record too. One of my favorite vocals, very soulful uh, gentleman from England, uh, who's got one of those voices that is reminiscent of um, all those great singers from Northern England that we grew up with. And Pete, Pete's got that. Uh, great lyrics too. Pete actually wrote the lyrics for Love Is Not Made Of Gold. Those are Pete's lyrics too. So love that guy.
2: So maybe it was Tishy with that project that, that you guys had been, were working on that I had first heard his name. But funny story, a friend of mine uh, in Vegas, Stacey Blades, has a band called Crashing Wayward that's really good and act- actually super STP-influenced. Um, and, and the singer in his band, uh, who I had met only once at the time, his name is Pete Summit. And I interviewed those guys, oh. and I mistakenly called him Pete Shoulder. And he's like, no, my name's Pete Summit. He goes, what's Pete shoulder? And then to bring it all, all 180 degrees around, then you come out with a record and he, this guy, Pete Summit, <laughs> loves STP. And you've got a guy named Pete shoulder on your record. So I sent it to Pete Summit. I go, Pete, I'm not insane. There is really a singer named Pete shoulder. I just couldn't remember where I heard it from. It's so ridiculous.
3: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> Yeah, Pete, so, Pete Shoulder, is, it's Shoulder, not Summit on this record, yeah.
2: Right, and Pete Shoulder is a real guy, <laughs> and as is Pete Summit, and both are great singers, clearly, so that's very cool. Now, why did you only sing one track on here, Robert? You do—you mentioned the last track, Is This Goodbye, but uh, why only one? Did you have the urge to do more, or did you just have so many other singers you wanted to put on there?
3: You know, I, I looked at it this way, Eddie. I, I, I didn't want to make a record that at the end – I was I was judging my my vocals or my 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 lack of you know what I wanted to hear as a as a as a listener, and I, I just didn't want to sit here and judge the record at the end. I wanted to listen to the record as a listener, and I think that's one of the main thing I, I one of the main things I tell people about you know what keeps you humble in music and what keeps you interested in music. I think it's remaining a fan of it and a listener of it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to do that with my own record. I wanted to be a listener of my own record at the end.
2: So the record is out now. It's called Lessons Learned, and it's your first ever solo record. What has been the response so far that you've heard from STP fans about it being uh, being so different sonically than what STP is? What, what's what been the uh, the bulk of the feedback that you've heard?
3: well i've been I've been talking about a solo record for a long time now and I think the people that were interested in in hearing that uh, you know it's it's I think it's a wow finally uh, you know finally he came out with one the the feedback's been very very positive and I'm very uh, happy with uh, with with everything and um, I think the I think the record speaks for itself sonically um, and emotionally and I think um there's a universal kind of feeling on there of what's going on with uh love and love lost and i think everyone can relate to it it's just you know i think it's my version of it but it's uh i think i think everyone is really getting that the sonic uh quality and the mood of the record and um i'm happy for that it's been positive
2: and did I see, speaking of Sonics, did I see that there is um, there is vinyl coming? There's vi- not vinyl out now, but there's vinyl coming. Is that correct?
3: Yes. At the end of this month, I want to make that clear because uh, there's such a weight on vinyl. And I'm so happy that vinyl has come around to be a thing again. Um, and I, I, you know, specifically put all this artwork together this great artwork together for vinyl cuz i i can't wait to have that in my hands and i can't wait for everyone else that ordered it to have it in their hands but that's going to be arriving at the end of this month i actually just got the confirmation today
2: yeah i'm looking at the album cover and it's very cool that what that is is that is that a drawing or a painting tell me about that it's actually a photograph i took on an iphone 7
3: and i think the lack of quality of the iphone 7 and when I treated it a little bit, it turned into kind of looking like an oil painting. Um, but that mm-hmm. was a picture I took up in Santa Barbara, California one night. And uh, that's an old, ancient California oak tree That with, with, the, with the moon shining. I just snapped that picture. The lighting that's on the tree is actually from the street lights. So I, I captured a moment there and I instantly saw that and said, that's going to be my record uh, cover one day.
2: And I love you've got the stereophonic logo there at the top. So that's very cool as well. Uh, but yeah, I had heard That that. I go ahead. Uh,
3: I have to mention a gentleman by the name of Dave Schwartz who, uh, put this together with me and, uh, has a lot of, uh, great, um, experience with, with records and, and, and designing records. I have to mention Dave Schwartz. He, uh, did a great job in putting this together with me.
2: Yeah. And fans don't realize that there's a lot of times, I mean, people who are on the vinyl kick, I, honestly, I'm not one, I'm still a CD guy, but the people who are on the vinyl kick, and I know it's a thing, they want the vinyl, the, the actual day the the record actually is released. And I know that that's a challenge. I've talked to a lot of artists and a lot of label people that uh, they, they say you wouldn't believe how, how much it's backlogged and how difficult it is to get made in the proper quantity to fill those orders so it makes sense that it lags a little bit behind usually because of that
3: yes i think everyone's experiencing that i uh i got in line back in uh august maybe so it's been uh it's been pretty good i've no i know people that have been waiting a year to get their vinyl, so um I did okay. I did all right. I went through Citizen Vinyl, which is in Asheville, North Carolina. And they've been uh, folks there have been really good, man. Been really good.
2: So do you envision being able to do live shows in support of this record? I mean, having different singers on it, I imagine that's a challenge, although you could obviously use one to cover all the material in a live setting. Is it something that you hope to do to go into maybe some small places and play these songs live?
3: I think it would be more of a of a of a kind of one one time filming thing. I think you know getting <clears throat> getting singers that range in 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 location from California to England is going to be tough, and everyone being on the same schedule. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that contributed to this, and I think to do it right, um, you know, I have a gentleman by the, Dave, the name of Dave Egger on uh, strings, and uh, getting string players in, and, and I'd love to do it the way that I actually track these songs it would be an amazing thing to do that um it just be it's it's going to be tough to try to get everyone together i'll try but uh yeah gonna be tough
2: yeah i would imagine uh that to be the case um what's going on with stp you know i just uh looked at i didn't even realize this i'm going to see if i can reroute some travel but i I don't know if i told you i have a second home in vegas and i'm going to be west right around the time you guys are playing Fremont on the 19th, and I I saw two shows there over the summer, and I don't know if you've ever played that gig before, but it's such a cool setting to play and see a band in downtown Fremont with that awning. Everybody, It's a free show. Everybody yeah. drinking, hanging out. It's such a great environment to see a great rock show. So I know you're doing that on the 19th. I'm going to try to see if I can make it there for that. But is that is that a one-off wow. as far as U.S.?
3: It is a it is a one off. We're we're actually uh, they're doing a light show to our music, and it's running all year uh, down in Fremont there. So we're kind of getting uh, honored, and we're going to be we're going to be playing down there. We've done that show about two or three times before, and it really is a great a great environment, great show. I love that that area. It's really really fun.
2: Yeah, I love it downtown, and it's it's really turned into something down there. And over the summer. I, so, I went to see, uh, Sebastian Bach do that stage and also soul asylum the following week. And both shows oh, were just yeah. great. And it, it's just such a great, uh, just a great vibe down there. And it sounds good. And, uh, you know, it's yeah. crazy. It's a lot of fun. You guys will kill down there. That should be awesome. So I'm going to do everything I can to try to reroute some stuff to make it because that would be great. Now from there, uh, is that the only STP show left for the year?
3: And then we, uh, we start next year and actually, you know, with, 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 (laughs) you know, Eddie, uh, you know, COVID hasn't been very kind to us traveling folks that are in music. So, um, you know, it's starting to pick up again and, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be hitting, um, South America. Uh, we're going to be hitting, um, New Zealand, uh, and, you know we're kind of back back in it. We're really excited to get back on the road and go to these places that um, that we haven't been to in a while, and also just uh, get back down and you know to some great great audiences.
2: Where, where was the biggest audience for Stone Temple Pilots outside of America in the world? Where, where, did you guys tour a lot outside of of the U.S. back uh, in the day?
3: Uh, Scott ha- Scott had some issues getting out of the country and getting into new ones, so. There were a lot of a lot of uh, avenues we didn't quite uh, go down. Um, But, uh, you know, I think South America was probably I mean, South America is probably one of the best places and audiences. I mean, we played some big festivals down there in Brazil that were pretty amazing. And uh, it's interesting because you, you usually hear people singing your lyrics. But when you're up there playing and you hear some drone of the riff that you're playing and then you realize that it's the people singing the actual riff, um, that's pretty amazing. So mm. very great. Uh, South America has always been great to us.
2: Have you guys, uh, thought about, uh, new music for STP? Is anything new cooking? Have you and Dean gotten together? Not
3: yet. Um, You know, I'm so busy on this record right now, and it's been, you know, such a journey for me to kind of try to tackle this all alone uh, with with playing and everything and with the people I got together. And uh, this is just kind of the beginning of promo. Um, Like you said, the record was released a couple weeks ago, so I'm kind of in the middle of it right now. But um, it's in the back of my mind, and I've got some ideas kind of coming together. So we'll see where that goes.
2: And I know that... uh... With each 25th anniversary of the STP catalog, you've been putting out these special editions. Tiny Music was the last. Uh, we become, I imagine we're coming up soon on, on four hitting an an, a major anniversary. Are there plans for a special edition on that one?
3: Yeah, I believe so. I'm going to have to uh, ask the fine folks at uh, Rhino, who have always been great and do such a great job of putting things together. Um, I think we are. Well, we'll, we're going to actually talk about that soon. And, uh, yeah, it's hard to believe the time is going by so quickly. And uh, we're thinking about number four at this
2: point. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's crazy. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I remember when we did that thing in L.A. where it was for the 25th of Core, the first album, and that's already five years ago. Because you're you're already at probably 30 (laughs) on that. It's nuts. That's a 30. That's a 30 yeah yeah great. Yeah. It's just totally crazy, and hey, you know you mentioned Chester Bennington a second ago. I'm curious, you know i I saw you guys with him singing, and I know you did music with him and everything. when you look back on that period, I know Chester was a huge s t p fan. What was that experience like doing you know having him in the band at that time when you look back on it?
3: It was great, and he was always in a great mood. he was always we were always laughing. And, uh, he just had a great energy about him and he really, really enjoyed being there, making music with three other guys and getting in a room and playing. It was something he never really did with Lincoln park. And I think he was really excited about being in a different environment where he was actually sitting in with three other guys. And we were, you know, we would go on a tour and we would just get together in my basement. And it all brought it back to when we were younger, little, little kids when we were all in the basement. And uh, there was an energy there that was exciting. And I think he really uh, picked up on that. And uh, we always had a great time, always made each other laugh. I, I really miss him.
2: Yeah. I, the, I have a photo of all of us at a show that you guys played with him in Oklahoma city that my friend was the promoter and that I was at and, and actually hosted. Yeah, and uh, it's, it, yeah, it's just a great photo, and I and then one of just before Chester died, one of his last interviews towards the end there was on this show actually, and I know Lincoln Park had just made a really very pop sounding song, and he came on me, on my show almost apologizing for it, and I was just like, it was like an R and B ish type song. I'm like, no man, it's fine. I mean, it's like you know, I'm a rock guy, I admit it, but I. I like, I respect when people do some different things and step out, just like this record, your solo record. Yeah. I mean, I said, I, you know, yeah. I, I people come to me, like, even for this record, like the talent people said, well, you know, it's, it's very different than stone temple. Do you want to talk to Robert about it? I go, of course, you know, I'm not, I'm not a total Neanderthal. I have a, I have a little <laughs> wider range. So I was like, a, and uh, it's great to learn about that stuff and uh, to hear about it. But yeah, I always, I always think that it, that period of Chester and STP was a really interesting one, and there were some great shows, and having seen him live with you guys, I mean I was just amazed at how much there was wylandisms in his performance.:
3: Well, I think Chester grew up on our music, and uh, he was a fan of it, and uh, you know what what better way to have someone uh, honor that music and those songs uh, by by grabbing a hold of it and singing them? I mean, it, you know it was, it was a great time. It was a great time. I really missed him.
2: And how long has Jeff, your current singer, been in the band now?
3: Man, I just talked about this this morning uh, with someone. I, I I think it's been since two thousand sixteen or seventeen now. So because
2: <laughs> I, ta- I think <laughs> talk about time. F- well, talking about time flying. That I was at the very first show he played with you guys at the Troubadour. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that and was I remember remember
2: that. Yeah,
3: yeah, um, I called Wayne Kramer to come down, and that was right. Yes. having Wayne come down and do kick out the jams with with Mister K. That was great.
2: Yeah, and I remember that show too because you guys were trying to maintain, I guess, some sort of um, you know. I guess mystique, or you didn't want his first show with STP being out all over the internet because it was the only show I ever went to. Now, thankfully your management, your managers are friends and they didn't make me do it, but there was phone. The phones were locked up. Phone, people were yeah. outraged because people were coming in and they had to put their phones in these packets so that they couldn't take video or photos and I remember um, speaking to your manager about it. And he said, Well, beyond not shooting stuff, he goes, Watch the vibe in the room when people aren't constantly looking at their screens. It, it's totally different. And he was right. It was very, very cool. I would, again, I didn't have to surrender my phone. So maybe he trusted me not to take All photos right. and video. But so maybe I would have felt differently. But I was like, Yeah. And then later on after that, that kind of became the norm for a little while. I think I heard tool did it and some other bands where it was actually like, you know, put the phones away for a couple hours.
3: Yeah. You know, um, those, those, those phones have, they've changed our lives, haven't they? Um, not always for the best, but, uh, you know, as far as attention span, I think, um, you know, we didn't come up with that. I think it was, uh, our management that kind of came up with that. It was, uh, you know, for that reason and other reasons. But, yeah, I think um, it's a nice experience when people are really just focused on, you know, what we grew up on is being at a concert and concentrating on the show, watching the show.
2: Does Does it bother you from a stage standpoint looking out to a crowd and when you look out there and you see nothing but, or half the people with phones in the air looking at your performance through a screen versus actually just being in it
3: no, it doesn't bother me. I think it's their way of kind of preserving what they're seeing. I mean, they're there enjoying it and you know, if I see something cool, I I I I film it too. You know, I I I think it's for preserving it um for posting it. Um I think it I think it lets the memory live on for everyone else. So I I'm cool with it. I don't I don't I don't mind it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well listen buddy I appreciate the time and congratulations on this record again Robert DeLeo's first ever solo record is out now it's called Lessons Learned and if you uh, if you're looking for um some really cool uh, mellow atmosphere there's a great like you said there's space there's there's an atmosphere that's the biggest word I could come up with after listening to it there's an atmosphere that it puts you in a in a place and a zone listening to this record. And I, I, what we talked about at the top of this conversation, I mean, I'm all about albums and I love the experience of track one through 10 or one through 11 and that journey that that music takes you on. And this record absolutely does that, man. So congratulations.
3: Uh, mission accomplished. Thank you, Eddie. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for having me, man.
2: Anytime. I hope to see you in Vegas in a couple weeks. I'm going to do my best to try to get there and, uh, have some fun down on Fremont and uh, see you guys crank it out a little bit. It's been it's been too long, so it'll be fun if I can get out there. I hope to see you.
3: Man, come on out. We'd love to see you, Eddie.
2: All right, Robert. Uh, my best to the guys, best to your family, and uh, hopefully I'll see you soon, man. Sounds great, man. Thank you so much, man. You got it. Take care. Yeah, you too, Eddie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks to Robert DeLeo of STP. Interesting stuff on his solo record. Very, very different. Be sure to check it out if you are interested and look forward to the next Stone Temple Pilots activity. We talked about me going to that show they played in Vegas on Fremont. Unfortunately, I did not make it. I was not in town at the time that it happened, but saw some photos and stuff since it did happen, and it looked awesome. And that's just such a great setting to see a show, Fremont Street in Vegas. So... Didn't make it even though I was trying to and wanting to, as you heard in the interview.
0: Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music field trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, In every bag of Famous Amos Original Chocolate Chip Cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Start clean with Clorox. Because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mick crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
2: All right, next up, Todd Latory of Queensryche. He's been the voice of Queensryche, replacing Jeff Tate now for, I guess, about 10 years. Made a couple sol- uh, studio records with the band. Made a solo record not too long ago. And, of course... Queensryche recently out opening up for Judas Priest, a bunch of touring that they did with them. This interview from a few weeks ago was just when Queensryche were about to get on the road again with Priest, and their new album was just about to be released. Here is Queensryche's lead vocalist, Todd LaTorre. Todd, how are you, bro?
1: I'm doing good. How are you?
2: Good, man. Hey, the first thing I want to ask you is, um, you live in Florida, and I'm always thinking of all my friends in Florida. How did you do with the storm? You okay there?
1: yeah you know it was it was originally headed for Tampa Bay, and uh it was really scary looking uh you know people boarding up their houses and whatnot and then it took a quick turn to the south of us so I think we had maybe somewhere in the seventies mile per hour winds I didn't have any structural damage lost a bunch of a bunch of fencing and a little bit of gutter damage, but other than that, like really got lucky and dodged a big bullet on this one so Yeah, but thanks for asking.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, you're from Florida. You're a Florida native. So uh, I imagine it's, you know, running through storms like this is just part of living there. It's probably old hat at this point, although it's probably something you never get quite used to. That's
1: true. Yeah, I mean, some people are like, why do you live in a state where every year you have the potential of losing your entire house? (laughs) And I'm like, well, it's just where I'm from. It's where I was born. It's where I live. Yeah, we're. I mean, we're used to it, but we've gotten really, really lucky. I mean, if this was a, a strong Cat 4 that came through, I don't know that I would have a house.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad it worked out for you. I'm glad everything is cool. So um, you guys are on a little break, and then you get ready to start up on Thursday uh, going back out with Priest again, right?
1: That's correct. Yeah, we did some rehearsals in Tampa, and we're all on the tour bus right now traveling up uh, to Connecticut for the first show and uh right now we're in south carolina uh at a hotel sitting in a parking lot
2: <laughs> oh i thought you were in connecticut okay you're headed to connecticut right
1: yeah we're headed there
2: how is the you know this connection with uh and priest uh, it started with the vegas residency right that's the first time you started doing shows with them correct
1: correct we were initially um to do the scorpion the residency with the scorpions And that can got kicked down the road a couple times. And then, you know, we were afforded the opportunity to go out for six weeks um, with them. And uh, just as a business decision, uh, you know, we just did that. And Skid Road did a great job filling that void, uh, doing that residency. But, yeah, that's when it all started. And then we did a tour, a six-week tour with them throughout North America. I think that was April, May, somewhere in there. And then uh, to our surprise, we were asked to continue another leg of the tour. So this will be another six-week run um, through the U.S. And we're really, really honored and excited to be back out with Judas Priest. They're amazing people, such an awesome band, and it's a real treat for all of us.
2: And as a singer, how cool is it for you to maybe be able to share some notes or even get to watch uh, Rob out there, even at this point in his life, as good as he still is, how how that must be a treat for you as a vocalist.
1: It's really awesome. I mean, uh, you know, growing up, being such a huge fan of Rob Halford, uh, you know, it's it's pretty awesome. There was a sound check we did, and he was standing. he was the only one in the venue at that point, and uh, he watched us do Queen of the Reich at sound check. And you know, there's that little party that's going. Wow, this guy's watching our band play something with his undivided attention, and. uh you know, it's 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 really great. He's a super nice guy, and uh, yeah, I mean, if I all I need is the invite, and I'll be out there singing "Painkiller" with him. So, <laughs> if he hears this, <laughs> there's a little wink, wink. But now to to hear them play and watch them every night is is really awesome, and uh, we couldn't be more happy.
2: You know what's amazing about Rob too is is if you talk with him, he really keeps up with everything going on in metal. Like, and obviously fitting for the name Metal God to, to to have to you know have to keep up. But whether they're new bands, young bands, old bands, old bands making new music, he's he's really like you know he really knows what's going on as far as who's doing what and keeps an eye on everything going on out there in the metal world. It's pretty impressive because most people, have, having done it as long as he has, it's just, like, worried about what they have to do and checked out on everything else.
1: That's true. And, you know, I do see on on, on his social media, you know, he'll uh, he'll give shout-outs or wear a T-shirt of a newer band or hold a CD up of, you know, a band that's not, you know, some legendary 30-, 40-plus-year-old band. But, yeah, he definitely seems to be very in tune with the, uh, the pulse of what's happening in the rock and metal scene.
2: So this new album from Queensryche, which is out now, Digital Noise Alliance, uh, I was I was trying to think, is this album three or four for you as the singer?
1: This is the fourth one.
2: Fourth one. And I got to tell you, man, I was listening to it. It's really, really good. And it's got a lot of like classic Queensryche hallmarks to it. There's a lot of diversity to it. Tell me about this record coming together and writing it and the uh, approach to it, what you guys were going for here. And did it, you know, I imagine like most records, uh, some, some of it written or at least uh, knocked around during the pandemic?
1: Yeah, I'll try to give you the uh, short version. Um, basically, yeah, once the vaccines became available and it, the guys felt safe to travel, um, we all got together in Florida. And um, we really started working on songs from just very uh, small guitar riff ideas that Michael had. Um, Casey actually created an entire song from the drums, and then Michael wrote music to that. Um, And then Eddie, the only two songs on the record that were kind of written prior, uh, meaning just one person kind of creating it all, was Eddie Jackson wrote uh, the song Realms and Nocturnal Light. And then Mike Stone came in and revamped all the guitars with the, the classic Queensryche type of uh, chord structure and phrasing and whatnot. Um, but, but really, we all created this as a complete team effort from Michael contributing to lyrics, Casey contributing to melody, vocal melodies. Um, I had a couple of guitar rip ideas, You know, um, everybody was all over the place helping each other to create the best songs that we could. You know, Michael brought in all of the old vintage amps from Rage for Order, The Warning, Mind Crime, Empire, and Promised Land. So instead of using, you know, a Kemper or having one particular rhythm sound, we experimented uh, with every song. And whatever song that vibe was, you know, Michael would say, well, let me play this on the Rage for Order amp and see what that sounds like. So a lot of experimentation. It's a collection of songs. It's not a concept album, but it was all composed and done during the shutdown because, you know, we're, we're always gone. And, and it's so hard to to get back into that headspace after you've done fly dates or whatever. And Zeus did the uh, producing and mixing and mastering on it. And it was a lot of fun. You know, it's getting really great reviews. And I think there's a, like you said, there's diversity. There's, I think there's something for everyone. You've got some, some things that might belong on uh, Empire or Promised Land. And then you've got some other things that sound like they could have been on The Warning or Rage or, you know, something like that. So I think it really kind of encompasses a 40-year career of Queensryche's classic sound. But today...
2: Well, you know, you can hear the diversity in the record in just the three videos that were released from the album. Forest is a a, a ballady, silent lucidity-ish type of song in terms of tempo and direction. And then Hold On is like a straight up hard rocker but with a great hook. And then you got Behind the Walls, which is more of an epic and a little more proggy. So really, and I don't know if that was by design, but the three songs you made videos for all show all sides of Queensryche and and some slightly different sides
1: yeah well thanks for that observation I mean I think you know we, we rolled the dice and and as a as a band we decided to put Forest out as the second single because amidst all of the the, the heavy stuff that just seems to be so prevalent by all these bands we thought this would really kind of cut through a lot of that noise if you will and uh, and show them early that, hey, you know, the record doesn't sound just like the first single, which was in Extremis. Let's show them early that there's there's some diversity here. It's a curveball. Um, but, you know, Queensryche has always had a very large yard to play in, you know, we from your silent lucidities or killing words to Queen of the Reich and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't by design, though, Eddie. You know, Michael had a riff and uh, Zeus would just record that, Casey would get on the drums, and in real time, we would create something, and when that was exhausted, he would close the session, open a new one, and Michael would show him another idea. And then I'd get on the mic and hum some melody ideas, and it was just like like a real band. Like, bands used to do it. Before, there were computers to to do all the the file sharing and whatnot. This was just, uh, I mean, it sounds so cliche to say organic. Everybody likes to use that word, but it really was just such a, an organic process, and we all worked as a real band. I mean, there's so many bands out there that, you know, either have outside songwriters or people live, they don't get together and vibe off each other because there's things you're going to come up with in real time. And it's a big time saver, too, because if there's something that a couple guys are like, eh, what if you tried this? By the time you you say that idea and the other person goes back into Pro Tools and tracks the idea and resends it back, that could be weeks. And, and you're like, well, you were kind of doing what I was thinking, but not quite. So this trims off a lot of the fat. It makes pre-production much quicker, and, and everyone's on the same page because we agree on those ideas as they're happening.
2: Were you able to all get in the same room and record this record? Did you guys all record at the same time in one studio? It wasn't, so you didn't, you didn't send stuff around. You, you all got in and recorded and looked at each other while you recorded it.
1: Exactly. So the drums were recorded first, um, at this, at a friend of ours place, which is this, it's Hulk Hogan's old mansion in Clearwater. You know, it's an 18,000 square foot home with these incredible ceilings, Um, it just the perfect drum room. So there's no sound replacement on the drums that is so common today. Everything is exactly how it was, how it was recorded. Um, and then once the drums were done, we all got together at my place. I have a studio and all the guitars were tracked there. So even though all the drums were done, for example, Casey was there, you know, during all the guitars, like Eddie was there, Mike Stone flew in. So we were all there during everybody's parts, um, and it was—it uh, wasn't like once this person was done with their part, they vanished, and they would just hear it after it was all done. We we were all together through the whole process.
2: Yeah, and it, it feels that way. It really does. I mean, I I think. I mean, I've I haven't. Gotten is spent a ton of time with it, but on on initial listens, it might be my favorite record you made with the band because it's a it's a great sounding record sonically. There is that diversity in it, and there's all the all you know every every classic Queensryche box is checked, but there's also some you know obviously newer things going on in here as well. You know, I want to ask you about the videos because there are a lot of bands that don't really put all that much into their videos now. And I understand that because really there it's the days of MTV and all that are long gone. So you're really using them to put on social media, put on YouTube and try to get the fans to go over there and click and see them. But you guys, uh, especially when you look, well, all three videos, I mean, there's, there's actors in them, or, or it looks like actors. There's you acting in one of them at, behind the walls, kind of, you know. So yeah. you guys really put a little something into these videos beyond just, let's get in a room one day and knock out three songs with just everybody shooting us.
1: Correct. You know, In Extremis was just was the simplest of them all. That was just a, a very standard kind of typical performance video. But the rest of them, um, you know, we all sit down together as a, as a team, and we, we create, you know, what's the concept of the song? We kind of storyboard it out. We translated that to Thomas Crane from Kill Devil Films, who's a young guy, um, he's, he's real busy, he's making a name for himself. And um, and yeah, we, we put a lot of thought in, into the, you know, really kind of, we want those visuals to, to really just bring out the best of what the song is about. Um, And so, yeah, you know, we've actually shot so far, Eddie, we've shot seven videos for this record so far. And uh, there's a potential to do one, maybe one or two more. We'll see. But, you know, the record came out October 7th. So in a few months, it technically will be last year's album. So we still have videos that are going to propel us into 2023. We'll be doing a full uh, headline ground tour in March and April. That'll be a six-week run in the u.s. and uh you know most bands will do two two proper videos a lyric video that nobody really cares about anymore and we just thought you know what it's it's the the day and age of singles let's just if we can let's do a video for as many songs as we as we can and um i think it's done really well it's gotten great reception and um yeah, we put a lot of time into the videos. We didn't want to just have it fizzle out after two videos and, and then it just kind of dies down. So we're excited that there's still videos already completed and in the can and ready to release when, uh, according to that marketing plan.
2: Well, I got to tell you, Todd, that is really great to hear because one of my biggest peeves about how marketing rock records is these days for every band at every level, it seems is multiple songs and videos released in advance of the album actually being available to the point that some sometimes fans don't even know that the record actually came out because they have half of it before it even comes out. And then yeah. it's all, it's all about front loading to that first week pre-orders, get your first week chart position and put out a press release, how high you entered. But if you look in week three or four, it's it's often the records are completely off the charts because there's no sustained support there's no more singles there's no more videos there's nobody talking about the new record even at the even the biggest bands I think are are, do this so the fact that I mean I'm old school man I remember the days your record entered somewhere and then it got the bullet it lost the bullet it went up and down the charts that's all gone with rock. It's all about getting the first week and then you know yeah. forgetting it after week one when the hardcore fans buy it. so it's nice to know that you, the band and the label have a more of a long term approach to this because I think it's something more bands should do
1: I, I I would have to agree with you. I mean, I think that um you know with the the budget that we have for videos and um, the affordability um, in comparison to a lot of other film directors, Thomas, uh, really, I mean, he was the one that also helped make that possible. I mean, these are, um, like you said, a couple videos, it comes out first week because, you know, people think that those numbers are just so important, but after that, then what? So we just said, Hey, you know, at first we were a little reluctant. Oh man. You know, having four videos out, the fourth one being the day of release, are we kind of front-loading this a little heavy? But um, I think it's okay, and like you said, still having videos to put out into next year and, and with the potential to still shoot another one or two. And even though people have already heard it, you know, some people might think, oh, why do a video? Everybody already has it. But, you know, it's just it's fun, and it's it's stuff that we want to do. And if it's within our means and capability to do it, those videos are forever, and people still discover. I somebody said I saw a comment the other day, and somebody said, um, "Wow, I didn't even know there was a new singer," and this was on the the Hold On video, and so people are still discovering things just so late in the game. It never hurts to have more out there for them to to grab onto. So we're we're pretty pleased with the with that plan so far. Yeah, it's working out.
2: You know, tying in with what you just said about the new singer, you've now been, by my calculation, if it's if I'm right, you've been in the band now about 10 years. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it was 10 years in July, I think. So a little over 10 years.
2: And, of course, you came into the band in, in such a crazy situation in the... The the breakup of the of Queensryche and then initially coming in with a side band under the name Rising West and then being folded in as the singer and initially I mean we all know it's incredibly difficult to be a replacement singer especially when you're replacing somebody like Jeff Tate and the voice that he has and had uh, on those records but you were you were widely pretty much quickly accepted into the band now every band's going to have fans of like, you know, I won't accept this band without this guy or what have you. But how sure. do you feel? How do you feel now 10 years on in Queensrÿche as the singer because you know, do, do you feel like this is real, you know, you've really, you know, put your stamp on this thing now for Studio Records? Um do, does do you feel like most of all, you know, most of the Queensrÿche fan base that's out there has fully accepted you as the singer of the band?
1: You know, we we do feel that way. I feel that way. Um, like you said, you're not going to please everyone. There are the purists that just will only accept the original lineup. And uh, But, you know, again, if you take the, the biases aside and you just listen to the band now and judge the work, I think it stands on its own merit. And I think that the, you know, The people that are are not on board are a very small minority when you consider um, how many people really have gotten on board, how many people dropped off uh, for many years ago that have come back into the fold and are just supporting everything that we're doing. And they understand that, you know, life happens. People have different desires and paths in life. But this is the this is this is Queens right now. And this is how it's been for 10 years. And, uh, you know, the new record is getting a lot of great reviews. Me personally, maybe it's that artist in me and probably the guys would say the same thing. You know, our best since I've been in the band has yet to be written the best, you know, what I would consider like the, you know, the Holy grail, you know, but we're really proud of the new record. And, Honestly, we're we're already writing new ideas for the next one and and I, I, I kind of feel like the next one's gonna be like the summit of what I've done so far. And but I do believe that each record there is progression. Um and and uh you know, after ten years, a big part of me doesn't feel like I have anything to prove anymore, like I've solidified my myself in the band. But I'm always striving to do better. So in that sense, there's a part of me that feels like I kind of still need I need to outdo myself, you know, and uh, and we're always you know we work so well as a team. Um, I couldn't ask for a better group of guys to create music with and and play and tour and live together and do what we do. So I think um, you know to those people that might have thought I'm maybe the new singer would be a, a one album guy. And that that happens, as you know, there are bands that that just did one record. You know, I'm four records in, and we're working on on the fifth one. So it's all good. Everything's going so well in the band.
2: I the other part about this too is when with your arrival in the band, it really a, a huge part of it is it signaled a return to the classic Queensrÿche sound because. Let's be honest. I mean, uh, as a fan of the band, and you were a fan of the band before you joined it. In those last few years before you came on board, the, the band did lose its way. It did get a little out there for a lot of people. So I think the combination of your ability to sing and what you contribute, but also the fact that in a lot of ways you were viewed as uh being a component that got the band back in the in the classic Queens right groove.
1: Well, I think it's a. Uh, there's a couple parts to that. The, briefly, you know. Um, with all due respect, there were no longer um, outside writers. So just, just by the fact that um, Jeff was no longer in the band, I think the band was able to submit ideas to whoever the next singer would be um, to be like, hey, you know, they're, they're free to write and create whatever and not have maybe something that would be deemed as, quote, too heavy pushed aside. You know, I'm, I'm a metal guy. I mean, I like all kinds of stuff. But, you know, when I got in the van, I said, just so you know, you're never going to write anything that I'm going to consider too heavy. And let's do this. Let's have fun. And so, you know, in the beginning, Michael would pull out hard drives of some great ideas that he had that were, were never worked on beyond his submission. Um, and so, you know, these guys really just got back to doing what they what they want to do And, and uh, I'm just one component that um, allows that to happen very freely and comfortably. And, and they let me express myself to sing how I want to sing on this stuff. I mean, they know that I'm not going to, you've heard my solo record. I would never sing some of that stuff in the way that I sang it on a Reich album. However, there are some heavier elements to my voice that are not typical of Reich, but I think that over 10 years, I've been able to to do some of those things in a in a in a tasteful way uh, as to not deviate from from what the classic Queensryche sound really kind of is is about
2: well, you know what I think is amazing speaking of the classic Queensryche sound and this record and and the records you've made with the band truly have it but what's amazing to me is the band's lineup now has two original members in in Michael and Eddie. And somehow, even with just two guys left from the original five, you still are able to sound so much like classic Queensryche. And I imagine a lot of that comes from the fact, uh, I don't know Casey, but I'm assuming Casey was a fan of the band. I know you were a fan of the band before you joined. I know Mike Stone had history with the band, has been in and out. But uh, where do you, where do you think that comes from? I mean, I can't really think of a band that is down to two originals left, but is still so in line because Queensryche in its original form, everybody contributed in terms of writing. I mean, DeGarmo had a big hand. Uh, Jeff Tate did. All these guys did, but they're gone. Rock Rockenfield's gone, but it still sounds like classic Queensryche.
1: Well, that's a really nice compliment, and I'm, I'm glad that you feel that way and that you sense that in the in the music. I mean, right out of the gate, you got two OGs in the band. You got Michael Wilton who wrote, you know, the music to Empire and, you know, so many great classics. And Eddie Jackson, I mean, you have that, you know, he's the secret weapon in the band. Um, I obviously understand the isms and the nuances that, that are Queensryche. And, and look, I'm in the same headspace I've written lyrics before and they've said, oh, you know, we, we can't say that. That's already in another song. I said, what do you mean? I said something that was like a thousand yard stare. They said, oh, um, Jeff wrote a hundred, yard or a hundred yard stare or something like And I never even knew the song before. I think it was on American Soldier or something. And I was like, really? So there's a lot of similarities in kind of the, the, the subject matter and some of the lyrics that I write that are just very congruent to what Jeff would write, for example. Now, Casey was a fan of the band for sure, but he's also been playing this stuff live for over five years. So he's really picked up on, you know, those, those staple signature things. He's worked a lot with Eddie, uh, especially on this album, with having the bass drums and that foundation, that kick and bass locking in together really tight. He does, I mean, Casey's a great jazz drummer. I don't know if a lot of people know this, you know, they remember him from all the heavy double bass and, and, you know, uh, fancy fills in the Camelot days. But, um, you know, he's a great jazz drummer and fusion guy. He plays a lot of funk. So he's got a lot of tasty hi-hat work, and Scott would do some nice hi-hat work. So he does the alternating ride cymbal and hi-hat. He's got the china cymbals in the right spots. And he, he actually spent a lot of time writing purposeful drum parts on this record. And so we just let him be him. Of course, you know, he worked with Zeus on those parts too. And if I had an idea, he was great with, you know, yeah, let me hear your idea, you know, but, but, but um, I think you have that, that culmination of everybody that's in the band really understands the past. And it's just maybe when you're influenced by somebody, if somebody was influenced by Eddie Van Halen, you might hear some of that influence in their playing in the same way that influence is in us, in the non-original guys in, in, uh, in the songwriting and in the performance, uh, category. So, you know, I think a lot of people, if you didn't even mention a band member change and you said, this is all, this is, this is what it, you know, it's the old guys from back in the day and whatever, uh, maybe not, I don't sound exactly like Jeff, but, I think people would, would buy that and say, yeah, that sounds that sounds like the Queensryche I, I remember. So, um, you know, Michael writes guitar things that are just, you just hear it and you go, God, that is just so Queensryche. It just it just screams Queensryche. And it's just, it's his very unique way of creating music. It's just very unorthodox and it's different.
2: Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you play drums on the last album?
1: I did. I tracked on the verdict. Yeah.
2: So, so this is Casey's recording debut with the band, then, right? Correct. Yeah, because I I thought his playing was fantastic, and there were there were, again there were elements of classic Queensryche and things like you said, hi hat stuff and the splash symbol and all these things that. The way you know, similar, of course, is his own guy, his own guy, but had that sort of feel that was classic Queensryche that, of course, Scott, uh, Scott laid down. Has anybody heard from Scott? Have you guys have any update on his situation?
1: No, no, I don't have any any updates on anything.
2: So nobody uh, he's not in touch with anybody. He's completely off the grid as far as Queensryche is concerned. Correct. Yeah, because he put out that thing that whipped up fans online, I guess, about a year ago with something like a Queensryche 2020 or something, which also just kind of went away. Um, did anybody in the band have any idea what that was about?
1: I don't know what that was about. I have no idea. It's almost like, uh, I don't know, chumming the water and then and then uh, there's no bites.
2: Right, right. All right, well... Um, I got a few quick questions, and I'm going to let you go because I got. I've always wanted to know this. Okay, what's your favorite Queensrÿke album that you're not on?
1: The Warning. That's my that's my all time favorite. Love that record, man. I wish I was part of that record. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just it's just so good. You know, the uh, the first one I got was a cassette tape from a, a guy that my sister dated in high school. He said, check this band out, Queensryche. And I fell in love with it, but I didn't, I, I wasn't mature enough musically to really grasp it all at that time because it was a cassette, right? So I pushed play and I wanted to get to the next song. Well, when I hit fast forward, it went to the end of the tape because that was, it wasn't indexing to the next, uh, stopping at the next indexed part. And so... <laughs> I had to force myself to put the headphones on and just let it play. And I I laid it on my bed in my bedroom. I was about 14, 15, somewhere in there. And then, uh, like, a few days later, um, I went to the record store, and I wanted to get the CD because CDs were just coming out around that time. And they didn't have it. All they had was the warning. And I saw the green, you know, the green on the back, and I looked at the guys. I was like, I don't know if I I was like, I really wanted this one. Okay, I'll buy this one. And I put the warning in and I was drumming and man I fell in love with it and that car that never left my C D player. And then when I got my car at sixteen, it lived in my car for a good year or two. And I started really practicing the drums to songs like Before the Storm and the you know, some of those really quirky parts that that Scott came up with and that's my all time favorite Queensryche album. Uh, of all time that that I I mean I hate to say I like them better than the ones that I'm on I love the ones that I'm on <laughs> but there there is that you know as the fan and sure. the nostalgia and and it was just so awesome to me I have to go with the warning.
2: Yeah, and well, I guess in my second question, probably you might have just answered it. I was going to ask you the very, very first time you heard Queensryche. So, was it hearing the warning and was it getting that cassette, or did you see a video or hear something on the radio?
1: No. Uh, my sister's boyfriend came over to see her, and, you know, he helped me set up my drums in a better way. And he was already playing, like, Eyes of a Stranger, and he showed me, and he showed me the song on the cassette. And I love the the vibrato and that you know that I was into Iron Maiden like Seventh Son record was my uh, still my all time favorite Maiden record, and 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 that connected with me was the vocal, and then I think the video I had seen the video and I saw the chains on the drums and and like Scott became one of my instant favorite drummers and I really wanted to dig in on the drums and see if I could play some of this stuff at that age, and so I just really toiled in my room, man, for, for so long, like working on, and that was before you could watch YouTube. So I'm visually seeing the drum kit. Okay. That's the second rack, Tom, that's the floor, Tom, that's the right crash. So I wanted to play it exactly how it was. And so I was just enthralled with it. But, uh, operation mind crime was the first time I heard the band. Then I went backwards and got the only CD the store had, I think it was turtles music or specs or something back in the day and uh, and got the warning. So that one has a, a special place in my heart.
2: Was the mind Crime tour the first time you saw Reich live?
1: So I only saw Reich two times. I saw them when they came through Tampa or St. Petersburg at the Bayfront Center. And I think it was when Empire came out. I, I could have swore they did mind Crime and Empire stuff together. But it would have been around 91-ish, 92, somewhere in there. So it, had, it would have had to, had to have been the Empire Tour. And then I never saw him again until the 30th anniversary tour. A friend of mine um, had an extra ticket and asked if I wanted to go. And I said, okay. And so I went. And um, and that was the only other time. And then that was November of 11, of 2011. I met Michael Wilton at NAMM in, what is that, January of 12 in Anaheim. And then six months later, I was in the band. It was like the craziest shit, dude. Like, I couldn't believe it. So, yeah, it was pretty nuts. Um, I only saw him two times.
2: Well, it's an amazing story. What and finally... What's the toughest Queensrÿche song to sing, as far as the stuff you didn't record with the band?
1: Um, I mean, probably to your listeners' surprise, I don't believe in love is always hard for me. It's like, you know, Jeff always had such a great smoothness in this. You know, you're you're wondering is he is he pushing hard on that? Is he is that a is that like a reinforced mix voice that he's using? Because a lot of the Queensryche stuff, although people think it's chest belt, it's not. It's, it's like a reinforced mixed voice. It's hard to explain what that is to people that don't know.
2: Yeah, but, I was going to um, ask you, what does that mean?
1: Well, it's like <clears throat> if you were going to yell to somebody across the street, you know, you would use it in like how you would normally yell. If you went, hey, hey, that's kind of how. But if you go,
3: hey, hey, hey,
1: I can produce the same note And still have power, but I'm not really exerting a a lot of force and like reaming my throat, the muscles in my throat. So it's a technique uh, people can YouTube chest voice, mixed voice, head voice, and and they could get a, a really proper explanation. But a lot of the stuff that I sing is a mixture of chest voice and mixed voice, but it's getting the mixed voice to sound. You want your voice to sound like one full voice. So when I do high screams like Eddie Jackson, he can sing really high backing vocals like not particularly loud if he if he wants to. I can't do that. When I sing high, it's loud. I'll blow your eardrums out if you're standing next to me when I do it. It's full-blown crazy loud. But um but getting back to the the your question was I don't believe in love is almost like the, it's the verses. It's not the chorus. It's the second half of the verses that are just sit in a weird part of my voice. That's something I still try to work on. I can sing um, Queen of the Reich easier than I can sing Empire, um, for example.
2: You know. So, you know what's really. You know what's really interesting about this, Todd, real quickly, is that. So you're we as we talked at the top of the conversation, you're you're about to go out and do a whole other run with Judas Priest, and one time I was talking to Rob. And I said to Rob, what's the, what's the hardest part? Like, what's the hardest thing for you to sing? And he, we were talking about Victim of Changes. And he said, it's not the big scream that comes up in that song. It, it's actually the breakdown where he sings changes come over your body you know the whole the, where you'd think would be the easiest thing he's like, no yeah. the high stuff all he goes but when I got to bring it down like that he goes that that was always the most challenging thing that blew my mind and it ties in kind of with yeah. what you're saying about about yeah. this approach
1: yeah there was I, I got sick on one of the European tours I had bronchitis I went to the doctor they said you have bronchitis okay. And my voice was kind of down here, and and uh, and I said to Eddie, hey, do you mind if we, he's like, you know, hey, let me know if we need to cut a song. I said, dude, I really want to cut Empire tonight. He's like, really? I go, yeah. He goes, why don't we cut Queen? I go, no, keep Queen of the Reich, and if we can, let's cut Empire. He goes, but that doesn't make any sense. I go, dude, <laughs> trust me, I I could sing Queen of the Reich five times, five times, verse to one Empire. And he's like, really? I'm like, yes. And it was this, I really, you know, I really think we should keep it. And Michael said, if he wants to cut it, let him cut it. And Eddie was being pretty adamant about wanting to play it. I said, you know what? We'll do it your way. If I blow my voice out, it's on you. He says, okay, it's on me if you do. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to give it my all. We kept the original set. I sang Empire. It was really hard. And then Queen of the Right came, and I, and I did really well. But, yeah, it, it's, um, I think it surprises people you know where you a singer might struggle in that lower middle register but yeah. do the higher stuff easier and I, I don't know how to explain it it's a technique thing it's just uh it's less strenuous for certain things for me you know
2: yeah no doubt it's it's really interesting you going to do another solo record
1: i am going to do another solo record yeah i'm going to do a proper a proper uh, follow up to the first one and so craig and I are starting to mess around with some, some riffs and some ideas, you know, all my focus was purely on Queensryche and now we're getting ready to do an awesome tour with Judas priest. But you know, he, he's, I showed him some guitar riffs that I came up with. He showed me some stuff a week ago on his phone that he came up with. So definitely going to do that. It's just uh, right now I'm in, in, in touring mode and uh, excited to, to put on a great show. And uh, we're actually going to be, playing uh integrating something new into the uh, off of the uh, the DNA record on the priest tour so that'll be uh, maybe a treat for those people that are coming out but yeah I'm gonna do a gonna do a follow-up to that
2: you had said you wanted to make like an even heavier record and like almost a death metal type thing you still want to do that you still plan that
1: yeah so so outside of what I would consider like the proper follow-up to my solo record I have like an EP uh, of material that's like melodic death black, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, you've got the palm muted kind of iced earth type of, uh, rhythms. And then you have some tremolo open chord things that are prevalent in black metal, but the, the vocals are much more in lines with like kind of the song one by one that was on my, it was a bonus track on my, on my record that, uh, is kind of like, uh, behemoth, but then there's some mixture of some melodic singing kind of tied into that too. All I right. want to well, do everybody... that one separate separately though. So maybe right. I don't even know if I'll do physical product on that, but I want to put that out as like a little side thing.
2: Right. Got it. All right. Everybody check out Queens, Their Tour starts on Thursday in Wallingford, Connecticut. They'll be out as special guests at Judas priest for a while. You can find all the dates at Queens, Official.com And there's also a couple events that I'm going to be hosting that I'll see you on towards the back end, uh, January 17th through 21st, Rock Island Festival in Key West, second year for that. I hosted last year. I'll be back to do it this year. Great event. So uh, we'll see you there in Key West. And also back on your, uh, you and I are one of our favorite spots, Monsters of Rock Cruise. I've been on every one. I think you've been probably on half of them at least. And Queens right back on that April 29th through May 4th, sailing out of Miami. So kind of a uh, easy for you on those, Todd, you live in Florida, you get to go to key West and Miami, nice and convenient.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the key West thing, I think I'm going to drive down, just take a nice drive the day before. <clears throat> and so that'll be nice. And then I think the cruise actually leaves out of Orlando this time. Um, Somebody was a friend of mine was telling me normally they they would leave out of uh, Miami, but I think Orlando is uh, is the port for that monster's cruise.
2: You know what? You are correct on that, and you may want to let whoever does your website know because I'm reading it off your website, and the website listed as Miami, but you are okay. right; it is Orlando. So I was reading it from okay. your site and took it wrong.
1: Yeah, we'll get we'll get that corrected. Hey, before you before you uh, hang up on me here, I just wanted to say thank you, Eddie, for. For texting me today and on behalf of everyone in the band, we really, really appreciate you giving us the time and and, uh, and your plat- sharing your platform with us to all your listeners and for always supporting what we're doing. It, it really means a lot. And there's a lot of artists you can be talking to, so thanks for carving out time to talk about Queensryche today.
2: Oh, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate you saying that. I go, you know, I go way, way back with the guys almost since the beginning. And I, you know, what you guys are doing now is really, really top shelf. I'm really enjoying it. So I wanted to make sure we got you in here, especially with the tour starting as well. Get the word out. And everybody, check out the new Queensryche record, Digital Noise Alliance, which is out there right now. And is, uh, look, if you love classic Queensryche, there's nothing you won't love about the record. Todd, say, uh, safe travels out there. Say hello to the guys for me. And I'll see you on the road somewhere soon.
1: Okay, and one last thing. Go Mariners!
2: <laughs> My,
1: <laughs> we got are you, on in the bus, and I got some guys around me. It's on mute, and they're they're like, "Yeah, you know, they're they're watching." Well, the
2: you got You got to be a Mariners fan. Of being, uh, what, did they make you one? Because of course, those guys are from Seattle. Did they make you a Mariners fan, or were you always one?
1: You know what? If you can't if you can't beat them, join them, and
2: then beat them. <laughs> What's your football so- allegiance?
1: You know, I'm not a big sports guy. Um, I, was oh, really right. into base- I was really into baseball as a kid because my 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 mom was – well, my stepdad at the time uh, was a guy named Hal Lanier, and he was the first and third base coach for the Cardinals. Then he became the manager of the Astros. So as a kid, you know, Ozzie Smith used to come to our house and eat dinner a lot, and I got some amazing – I have a Mickey Mantle, two Todd Mickey Mantle baseball. Everyone else in the band are big – well, I don't know if Stoney is, but – but, uh, you know, whenever we're on the bus and there's sports, these guys love watching football and hockey. And, and uh, Michael's actually, you know, Michael moved to Florida about a year, year and a half ago.
2: And, oh, I didn't uh, know that.
1: So, yeah, so he's, you know, he's really big into the lightning. Um, I don't have an allegiance. I mean, if the Bucks do well, that's great because, you know, it's my home team. But it's not something I particularly follow.
2: I turned the attention away from baseball to football really quickly because I'm a Mets fan and we just lost in the wild card round in horrific fashion after uh-huh. winning 101 games to be eliminated in the wild card. So my uh-huh. football team, which is the Giants, is 4-1, and one, so I'm redirecting everything possible of my thoughts to football because I'm so pissed off about the Mets. <laughs> it's your, it's your last hope. <laughs> so, well, the Giants are good for the first time in like eight years, so I gotta run with that, but but But, uh, yeah, the baseball thing's tough as a a Mets fan here. But tell those guys uh, good luck with the Mariners and send them my best. And, again, travel safe. We'll see you out there soon, man. Okay, Eddie. Thanks again, bud. Thanks to Todd for the time. Much appreciated. And also earlier in the podcast, thank you to Robert DeLeo of Stone Temple Pilots. Again, all the interviews you hear on the Eddie Trunk Podcast happen live on the radio On my daily radio show, Trunk Nation. Heard Monday through Friday, live 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific on Sirius XM Channel 103, Faction Talk. Replays most nights, midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific on Channel 103. But you don't have to wait for replays, full shows, audio, video, interviews, and more all on the Sirius XM app. Just put Trunk Nation in the search. It'll all come up. If you're not a Sirius XM subscriber and you live in the U.S. or Canada where you can get SiriusXM, and you're only listening to this podcast, you're only getting a tiny fraction of what we do on the radio every day. So I hope you come on board and join me. Thanks to Joel Pollack for putting the podcast together and producing, and follow me on social media, at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, and on the Facebook page. Catch you guys next Thursday for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast.